Chapter Twenty One of the Morgansons. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Julia Lenarden. The Morgansons by Elizabeth Stoddard. Chapter Twenty One. Alice called me to her chamber window one morning. Look into the lane. Charles and Jessie are there with that brute. He goes very well, now that they have thrown the top of the chaise back. He quivered like a jelly at first. I must have a ride, Alice. Charles, she called. Breakfast is waiting. What shall be his name, girls? he asked. Aspen, I suggested. That will do, said Alice. Shall we ride soon? I asked. Will you? he spoke quickly. "'In a day or two, then.' "'Know what you undertake, Cass,' said Alice. "'She always does,' he answered. "'Let me go, Papa,' begged Edward. "'By and by, my boy.' "'What a compliment, Cass. "'He does not object to venture you.' "'He proposed Fairtown, six miles from Rossville, "'as he had business there. "'The morning we were to go proved cloudy, "'and we waited till afternoon, "'when Charles, declaring that it would not rain, "'ordered Aspen to be harnessed. "'I went into Alice's room, tying my bonnet. "'He was there, leaning over the baby's crib, "'who lay it in crowing and laughing at the snapping of his fingers. "'Alice was hemming white muslin. "'Take a shawl with you, Cass. "'I think it will rain. The air is so heavy.' "'I guess not,' said Charles, going to the window. "'What a nuisance that lane is, so near the garden. "'I'll have it ploughed soon and enclosed.' "'Are all those wild primroses you value so?' she asked. "'I'll spare those.' Charlotte came to tell us the chaise was ready. "'Good-bye, Alice,' he said, passing her and giving her work a toss-up to the ceiling. "'Be careful.' "'Take care, sir,' said Penn, after we were in the chaise, "'and don't give way to him. If you do, he'll punish you. Maybe he feels the thunder in the air.' We reached Fairtown without any indication of mischief from Aspen, although he trotted along as if under protest. Charles was delighted, and thought he would be very fast by the time he was trained. It grew murky and hot every moment, and when we reached Fairtown the air was black and sultry with the coming storm. Charles left me at the little hotel, and returned so late in the afternoon that we decided not to wait for the shower. Two men led Aspen to the door. He pulled at his bridle and attempted to run backward, playing his old trick of trying to turn his nostrils inside out and drawing back his upper lip. Something irritates him, Charles. If you are afraid, you must not come with me. I can have you sent home in a carriage from the tavern. I shall go back with you. But I felt a vague alarm and begged him to watch Aspen and not talk. Aspen went faster and faster, seeming to have lost his shyness, and my fear subsided. We were within a couple of miles of Rossville when a splashing rain fell. "'You must not be wet,' said Charles. "'I will put up the top. Aspen is so steady now it may not scare him.' "'No, no,' I said. But he had it up already, and asked me to snap the spring on my side. I had scarcely taken my arm inside the chaise when Aspen stopped— "'turned his head, and looked at us with glazed eyes. "'Flakes of foam flew from his mouth over his mane. 
The flesh on his back contracted and quivered. I thought he was frightened by the chaise-top and looked at Charles in terror. "'He has some disorder,' he cried. "'Oh, Cassandra, oh, my God!' He tried to spring at his head, but it was too late, for the horse was leaping madly. He fell back on his seat. "'If he will keep the road,' he muttered. I could not move my eyes from him. How pale he was! But he did not speak again. The horse ran a few rods, leapt across a ditch, clambered up a stone wall with his forefeet, and fell backward. Dr. White was in my room, washing my face. There was a smell of camphor about the bed. "'You crawled out of a small hole, my child,' he said, as I opened my eyes. It was quite dark, but I saw people at the door, and two or three at the foot of my bed, and I heard low, constrained talking everywhere. "'His iron feet made a dreadful noise on the stones, doctor.' I shut my eyes again and dozed. Suddenly a great tumult came to my heart. "'Was he killed?' I cried, and tried to rise from the bed. "'Let me go, will you?' "'He is dead,' whispered Dr. White. I laughed loudly. "'Be a good girl. Be a good girl. Get out, all of you. Here. Miss Pryor.' "'You are crying, doctor. My eyes feel dry.' "'Pooh, pooh, little one. Now I'm going to set your arm. Simple fracture, that's all.' The blow was tempered, but you are paralyzed by the shock. Miss Pryor, is my face cut? Not badly, dear. My arm was set, my face bandaged, some opium administered, and then I was left alone with Miss Pryor. I grew drowsy, but suffered so from the illusion that I was falling out of bed that I could not sleep. It was near morning when I shook off my drowsiness and looked about. Miss Pryor was nodding in an armchair. I asked for drink, and when she gave it to me, begged her to lie down on the sofa. She did not need urging, and was soon asleep. "'What room is he in?' I thought. "'I must know where he is.' I sat up in the bed, and pushed myself out by degrees, keeping my eyes on Miss Pryor, but she did not stir. I staggered when I got into the passage— but the cool air from some open window revived me, and I crept on, stopping at Alice's door to listen. I heard a child murmur in its sleep. He could not be there. The doors of all the chambers were locked, and I must go downstairs. I went into the garden room. The door was open. The scent of roses came in and made me feel deadly sick, into the dining room and into the parlour. He was there lying on a table covered with a sheet. Alice sat on the floor, her face hid in her hands, crying softly. I touched her. She started on seeing me. "'Go away, Cassie, for God's sake! How came you out of bed?' "'Hush! Tell me!' And I went down on the floor beside her. "'Was he dead when they found us?' She nodded. "'What was said? Did you hear?' They said he must have made a violent effort to save you. The side of the chaise was torn. The horse kicked him after you were thrust over the wheel. Or did you creep out? I groaned. Why did he thrust me out? What? Where is Aspen? She pointed to the stable. He had a fit. Penn says he has had one before. But he thought him cured. 
he stood quiet in the ditch after he had broken from the chaise. Alice, did you love him? My husband! A door near us opened, and Ben Somers and young Parker looked in. They were the watchers. Parker went back when he saw me, but Ben came in. He knelt down by me, put his arm around me, and said, "'Poor girl!' Alice raised her tear-stained face, looking at me curiously when he said this. She took hold of my streaming hair and pulled my head round. "'Did you love him?' Ben rose quickly and went to the window. "'Alice,' I whispered, "'you may or may not forgive me, "'but I was strangely bound to him, "'and I must tell you that I hunger now "'for the kiss he never gave me. "'I see. Enough. Go back to your room. "'I must stay by him till all is over. "'I can't go back. Ben? What is it? Take me upstairs.' "'Raising me in his arms, he whispered, "'Leave him forever.' body and soul. I am not sorry he is dead. He called Charlotte on the way, and with her he put me back to bed. I asked him to let me see the dress they had taken off. That is enough, I said. Charles broke my arm. It was torn through the shoulder, and the skirt had been twisted like a rope. Ben made no reply, but bent over me and kissed me tenderly. All this time Miss Pryor had slept the sleep of the just, but he had barely gone when she started up and said, "'Did you call, my dear?' "'No, it is day.' "'So it is. But you must sleep more.' I could not obey, and kept awake so long that Dr. White said he himself should go crazy unless I slept. "'Presently, presently,' I reiterated, "'and am I going home?' At last my mind went astray. It journeyed into a dismal world and came back without an account of its adventures. While it was gone, my friends were summoned to witness a contest, where the odds were in favour of death. But I recovered. Whether it was youth, a good constitution, or the skill of Dr. White, no one could decide. It was a faint, feeble, fluttering return at first. The faces round me, mobile with life, wearied me. I was indifferent to existence, and was more than once in danger of lapsing into the void I had escaped. When I first tottered downstairs, he had been buried more than three weeks. It was a bright morning. The windows of the parlour, where Charlotte led me, were open. Little Edward was playing round the table upon which I had seen his father stretched, dead. I measured it with my eye, remembering how tall he looked. I would have retreated when I saw that Alice had visitors, but it was too late. They rose and offered congratulations. I was angry that there was no change in the house. The rooms should have been dismantled, reflecting disorder and death by their perpetual darkness and disorder. It was not so. No dust had been allowed to gather on the furniture, no wrinkles or stains, no mist on the mirrors, no dimness anywhere. Alice was elegantly dressed in the deepest mourning. I examined her with a cynical eye. Her bombazine was trimmed with crepe, and the edge of her collar was beautifully crimped. A mourning brooch fastened it, and she wore jet earrings. She looked handsome, composed, and contented, holding a black-edged handkerchief. 
Charlotte had placed my chair opposite a glass. I caught sight of my elongated visage in it. How dull I looked! My hair was faded and rough. My eyes were a pale, lusterless blue. The visitors departed, while I still contemplated my rueful aspect, and Alice and I were alone. "'I want some broth, Alice. I am hungry. How many bowls have you had this morning?' "'Only two. You must wait an hour for the third. It is not twelve o'clock.' We were silent. The flies buzzed in and out of the windows. A great bee flew in, tumbled against the panes, loudly hummed, and after a while got out again. Alice yawned, and I pulled the threads out of the border of my handkerchief. "'The hour is up. I will get your broth. "'Bring me a great deal.' "'She came back with a thin, impoverished liquid. "'There is no chicken in it,' I said tearfully. "'I took it out. "'How could you?' "'And I wept. "'She smiled. "'You are very weak, but you'll have a bit.' "'She went for it, returning with an infinitesimal portion of chicken.' "'What a young creature it must have been, Alice!' "'She laughed, promising me more by and by. "'Now you must lie down. "'Take my arm and come to the sofa. "'Not here. "'Let us go into another room. "'Come, then. "'Don't leave me,' I begged, "'after she had arranged me comfortably. "'She sat down by me with a fan. "'What happened while I was ill?' "'She fanned rapidly for an instant.' "'taking thought what to say. "'I shot Aspen a few days after. "'With your own hand? "'Yes. "'Good. "'Pen protested, said I interfered with Providence. "'Jessie added also that what had happened was ordained, "'and no mistake, and then I sent them both away. "'And I am going at last, Alice. "'Father will be here again in a few days.' "'You did not recognize Veronica when they came. "'Was she here?' "'Yes, and went the same day. "'What great tears rolled down her unmovable face "'when she stood by your bed. "'She would not stay. "'The atmosphere distressed her so. "'She went back to Boston to wait for your mother. "'I could neither prevail on her to eat, drink, or rest. "'What will you do, Alice?' "'Take care of the children, and manage the mills.' "'Manage the mills?' "'I can. No wonder you look astonished,' she said with a sigh. "'I am changed. When perhaps I should feel that I have done with my life, I am eager to begin it. I have lamented over myself lately. How is Ben? He has been here often. How strange it was that to him alone Veronica gave her hand when they met. Indeed, she gave him both her hands. And he took them.' "'bowing over them till I thought he wasn't coming up again. "'I do not call people eccentric any more,' she said, faintly blushing. "'I look for a reason in every action. "'Tell me fairly, have you had a contempt for me, for my want of perception? "'I understand you now, to the bone and marrow, I assure you. "'Then you understand more than I do.' "'But you will remember that once or twice I attempted to express my doubts to you. "'Yes, yes, with a candour which misled me. "'But you are talking too much. "'Give me more broth, then.' 
End of chapter 21